Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is the New Rust Station Podcast, a show about the Rust programming language. This is Interview 4, Part 3, Jonathan Turner. In this final part of the interview, Jonathan and I talk about future work on the Rust language server, on improvements to the Rust language itself, and a bit about Servo. So let's get back into it. Now, like I think you actually mentioned this in the, the podcast that was specifically about the RLS. So there are some features that we took out because you know they can have this negative impact on your code if you don't have precise knowledge of your code and you start refactoring. Right. And random stuff gets renamed where it shouldn't be renamed in your code. No, do not want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you do not want that. So the first release may be kind of conservative. We'll have final references and go to definition because these don't change anything in your code. They're just really helpful for code navigation. But of course, as soon as we can, we want to turn on refactoring. We want to open it up so people can send us new refactoring so we can incorporate those. Mm. But we've been like laser focused on getting as accurate as possible and getting all the corner case stuff worked out. So then once that's there, that's a really solid foundation to build the, the really fun features. So as you're working through that, what are, without looking for specific commitments, obviously, no one makes specific commitments in software unless they're crazy or don't know yet. <laughs> Inexperienced or crazy, those are the options there. What's sort of the overall vision and roadmap? I mean, I've looked at the, the GitHub project, and so I have some idea, but... What's what's the overall track that you guys are on with that? Yeah, so I I would say that we are the 1.0 exactly what's going into 1.0. That's still a little bit up in the air. Mm -hmm. If we can get features done faster than we think they can get done, and they land and it feels really solid, great. You know, let's just add that. Um, again, we're talking about this 12 week thing. So in 13 weeks on stable, you should be able to have an RLS under the current plan, you know. Right. If, if we say, if the in six weeks we say, oh, it needs to bake another six weeks, well, that's just what needs to happen. Yep. But that's, in the ultimate, in the long term, that is a much better thing to be able to say when it's ready to actually ride the train all the way in. Yes. So yeah, like I was talking about this this uh, stable st stabilizing period that we're going through now, making sure it's, it's nice and solid, and then kind of a, a set of additional features we would like to, to land. Again, we don't know exactly which ones are going to go into 1.0, mm -hmm. but I would say by, what's the one going out next week, 117? I think so. So by 119, we should have our first real releases starting to go out. And then on just on the same cadence, every six weeks, we'll have the updated RLS, which will light up or you know fix whatever bugs or whatever need to get fixed. Uh, so just like you're picking up the compiler, you'll start picking up the RLS as you update. That's exciting. Rust doc is one of the things I, I would like to to work on um, because I think it's good where, so we're kind of surveying everything in, in Rust from kind of as the Rust team at Mozilla. And we see the book was 1.0 and it was good for its time. But now we have two years of learning how to say it better. And how to give you better examples. And the new book is, I'll be you know biased to say it, but it is way. No, I've read it. It's a way better book. Yeah. Uh, and everyone that's read it kind of says the same thing. So then we're we're looking at what is the 2.0 for other things. You know, what is the 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 2.0 language, if you will, like all these new improvements and all these right. things. 
what does the end result of that feel like? The compiler, we're doing a whole bunch of stuff to make it incremental, so it can do like incremental builds, but also do RLS. That's cool. But then there are tools like Rustdoc. This poor thing. No one wants to maintain it. It's gross because it's like plugging straight into the compiler. And like, what is the 2.0 experience for this? We can make HTML pages that are way easier to read. This is gnarly. Like, you have to know so much Rust to, to read a Rust doc page. It is not beginner friendly. One of the things that we're thinking about, so we got the RLS. We have this cool, it's basically a good data stream of information about your project. Neato, guess what else could use that cool data stream? If we could get Rustdoc to speak the same APIs that RLS is yes. using, then we can say, all right, stand up the RLS and now connect to a website. There's your whole project. We've got it all figured out. And we didn't have to connect to the compiler um, in this yeah. really hairy way that current Rustdoc does. And yeah. oh. even better, we can separate out the templates so that we can get web developers giving us better and better templates and not be worrying about all this yuck to get to that point. Yeah, that would be a win. Yeah, so Steve Steve Kladnik is really, after the book, wants to start working on Rustock, and that's something you know we'll see. I, I may be doing more servo stuff in the future. We're trying to figure it out, blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I am really encouraged to see that if we can get Rustock speaking RLS, and they can all share the same stream, then we can open up this really glorious API in the compiler that gives us all kinds of flexibility. And it's really encouraging. And it makes the coolest capabilities inside of the RLS. So for example, the, the things that Rustdoc needs, you know, I need to be able to find all the methods on a type. Great, we'll need that too. I need to know where the where this type is used. That sounds really cool. I need to know all the implementers for this trait. Oh, really? Right. So these are things that as a Rust IDE develops, these are things that you really want. And if we're lighting them up for Rustdoc, excellent. Right. Now we'll have that available that we can take all of that and put that into the IDE experience so that we just share the same information between Rustdoc and the RLS. And then getting inline documentation becomes pretty easy. You're like, I hovered over this and oh, yeah, hey, right. there's my markdown rendered stuff in line. Right. Then it's the same stream. And then we take that and say, okay, cool. We'll just make a template that kind of fills in this for this and that for that. And it just runs those, you know, let's say two dozen queries on your page. Done. Yeah. There's, there's your Rust doc. That sounds awesome. Yeah, we're encouraged. And Alex, who is, oh, Alex is a stellar engineer. Uh, we're, we were just kind of shooting the breeze with him and saying, oh, yeah, we should do it this way. We should do it that way. He's like, yeah, it could be live, too. It's like, what? But then why not? If it's the RLS yeah. and as you're typing, you can open up your docs um, by just having a, a browser running that's, that's pulling from the same stream. I don't know if we're going to get to that point. But that is there's a whole bunch of stuff that could potentially happen as you start lighting that up. Yeah. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> well, see, you've got me dreaming fun dreams of a like a an Elm app on the front, or better yet, a Rust and WebAssembly app on the front end. Just saying, okay, here we go. Yeah, that would be that would be fun. Yeah, and whatever we can do to encourage people to write better and better docs and make it more and more attractive to write them. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Absolutely. 
I know the bits I've played with over the last few months with VS Code have me super enthused about where it's going. And I have a good friend who has been picking it up on the side. He writes iOS apps for a living. And it's had him super enthused as it's hit beta and everything else. And I think that's a good sign. The RLS approach that lets us get the same kind of functionality in Vim, even if in Vim you're doing it by tapping some crazy arcane combination (laughs) of the colon key and then six keystrokes that do something magical. I was trying to look up how to do a particular kind of rename yesterday and I had I just couldn't get there. And I opened it in Adam and I did it in no time because I knew what to do. It's funny how much familiarity drives all of that. But that's exactly the thing that's a win here is, well, great. If you use VS Code, you can use it. And if you use Vim, you can use it. And you're not worse off because of that as long as the, the plugin maintainers are reasonably good at their jobs. Exactly. And it should feel, like you're saying, it should feel really comfortable to you in that environment. If you're a, a VS user, there's a whole bunch of expectations about how it should work when it's in Visual Studio or Emacs, especially how it should feel comfortable <laughs> in Emacs. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that the people that write the plugins mm-hmm. write it in such a way that it, it, it fits. And you know, I use VS Code again for Microsoft or whatever. It's just you know, it's right. just kind of my thing. So that was easy for me to pick up and get going. But I think. Let's let the plugin authors try it and push it, you know, push the RLS further and further. Say, well, it'd be great if it had this feature. They contribute it, and then everyone benefits from that. Right. And so we're really excited to kind of see that continue to, to pick up. Um, we're already seeing uh, a few new plugins coming out that are the language server protocol. Um, so there's like a new Sublime one that's hmm. being worked on, uh, a few other things. So, yeah. It'll be good. It'll be good. That, that's exciting. That was actually where I was going to go next is to ask beyond the reference plugin for VS Code that you guys have done and the integration that Kalita Alexei has done in the VS Code Rust plugin. Are there other plugins out there? I haven't found them yet. Do any of the other editors have support via the language server protocol yet? So there is, uh, what is it, langserve.com. you have to put it in the show notes when you do this. I show. shall do that, yeah. Uh, but there is one that lists all of the, uh, the servers that provide mm. the language server mm-hmm. protocol and then all of the clients or IDEs or editors that consume it. Gotcha. So you can see as they mature, the new ones added to the list. I think initially it was only VS Code and Eclipse, and now there's like a dozen uh, editors that... that um, that support it. Excellent. What other things might we have to look forward to based on that ergonomics initiative that was a part of the roadmap and based on the the feedback from community, et cetera? Obviously, the language server is a big, big deal. I've gushed about it now in two episodes. What other (laughs) things might I have cause to gush about? I would say it's... So one of the things that I've been curious about, and I've been asking Aaron and Nico what it's going to look like in the future, is so we have a lot of these initiatives going on in terms of, uh, you know, ones like don't make me have to deref when I go into a, a match and, yeah. you know, don't make me remember the ref keyword and, and these kind of things that, I mean, I personally stumbled over when mm-hmm. I was my first two weeks of Rust, you know, things like that that are kind of paper cuts that don't really feel like they 
need to be there. Right. I got hung up on a ref thing last week's, and I've been doing this for a while now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's, I don't know how many of these initiatives on in the language side, um, and the Libs team is kind of continuing to polish. And my question to them was, what does it look like if we do all of these and then I write code in that new style? Like, what, what does the code look like? I'm taking all this up, but I don't know what that looks like either. Right. I think this is like, this is one of those things where we're at the beginning of all of this work. And I'm really encouraged to see the things that we're tackling. But I, it's really up to, you know, the hindsight once we get past this to see you know, what all of these together is going to look and feel like. Yeah. Things like, uh, was it const generics landing potentially here very soon? And I, you know, I jumped on IRC last night and I said, well, that's really cool. That's going to change a lot of the, um, of how we do stuff in the standard library. And, it, and at first Aaron was like, is it, is it though? And uh, someone else jumped on and said, yeah, but slices will, you know, have their information and we can give you really good, uh, type information about it. And he's like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> so it's, you know, we're still rapidly discovering what some yeah. of these improvements are going to unlock. Uh, and I, I'm just super encouraged to see that one, we really care about, you know, it feels like the theme of this podcast, right? Like don't change the power mm-hmm. of what it provides, but continue to make it a, a more ergonomic, a more comfortable experience, right. uh, a more rich experience or whatever. And so that's really the goal, you know, starting this year off and, and now we're at April and seeing it really picking up momentum. That's, that's super cool. Yeah. Anything else you would like to talk about? We've got a good, nice chunk here, but. <laughs> uh, I would say that that to me, those are as far as the, the rust um, side of things. Those are the things that I'm, I've been like heads down thinking about. I've also been doing some work on Servo, and we can talk about that if oh, we yeah. talk about Servo. Yeah, a little bit of that would be awesome, actually. So Servo is, I think everyone that's probably listening to this is probably excited about Servo, <laughs> but it feels like Servo itself is still coming into its own. Mm-hmm. It's still finding really where its niche is and where it can really be a strong you know, a strong force for good, if you will, right. uh, in, the, in the web browser space. When I looked at it a month or two ago, the uh, Windows nightly, so they have this nightly system where they just like, um, we do kind of have builds that you can pick up and run with, mm-hmm. but they only were for Linux and for Mac OS. So they didn't have a Windows one. And when most of the world still runs Windows. Windows PCs. Yeah, or Android, which is right. another one they didn't have. You got to, like you have to have that available because once you do, you know, just like moving RLS onto Rust up and you remove that barrier to entry and then you have a whole bunch of new people trying it and, and giving lots of good feedback. Yeah. You know, if you want Servo to continue to grow, you got to remove that that boundary and get all the people that are sitting on those Windows PCs a chance <laughs> to open it up and really give it a go. So I spent the last, you know, month or two with a few other folks like hacking away at the last mile stuff to get the uh, the nightly out. So we finally did that, I don't know, it was a week ago or something. And that was really cool because then a whole bunch of people jumped on. We had, you know, people that I had contact with at Microsoft from mm. years ago 
jumping on, giving me feedback, people from Google that hadn't picked it up yet. So it's it's really really awesome to see that you know you see this you see this one particular opportunity. If we can just fix this one thing, uh, and we we fix that one thing, and it really does start the open the floodgates. It's really excited to see that. Where is Servo going? That's one of the questions I've had. Is it going to continue primarily to be a research bed that feeds into Firefox? Is it going to be its own thing? Am I going to be able to use WebRender to rip out Electron and replace <laughs> Chromium with something that outperforms it by an order of magnitude or six? Yeah, I think that if we're if we do our, our job well, I think all the above, there's some all the above of that that Servo can be. One thing that I've been thinking about recently, one way to think about it is the LLVM of web browsers. Mm. Like this LLVM was a compiler technology that really enabled a whole bunch of innovation. Yeah. And then that innovation could be shared wherever LLVM was being used. So Apple used it to optimize their graphics pipeline. They used it for Clang and they used it for Swift. We use it for Rust. Like it is a powerful thing uh, that optimizes code, and it does so because all like academics could jump in too and write new plugins and mm-hmm. new like compiler pieces. So one of the things I really see with Servo is it's kind of being born out of the Mozilla research project or the research team. So it's got a lot of really cutting edge research, but if it continues to grow. You also want to be able to use it in more industrial settings, right? Right. So it should be the server, the the not the server, but the the engine, the the browser engine that you can plug into you know, the next Electron or the you know the next browser of choice. Right. It should be able. It should be modular, so you can park you know pick pieces of it out and put it in Firefox. Which, like you're saying, that's what Quantum is. Yeah. Is actually being able to take parts of Servo. Um, and put it into Firefox. But I see so much potential around what Servo could be as it matures Mm -hmm. to be something that both research can go into and it can continue to mature until it becomes this really powerful industrial-grade new browser engine. Something like WebKit you know, revolutionized browsers yeah. uh, you know, years ago. Like without that, we wouldn't have Chrome. We wouldn't have the Safari or anything like that. Like KHTML becoming something that really was reusable was a huge benefit to the web. And I'm I'm hoping that Servo can be, you know, play a similar role as it matures. That would be fantastic. And hey, secure and high performance things. <laughs> Hey. It's like Russ's, I'm not going to try to say the, the French phrase and butcher it, but it's its reason for existence. Indeed. And yeah, I'm excited to see where Servo goes as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a delight talking with you. Yes, it's been a lot of fun. Any parting words for our many Rustations out there listening? <laughs> Keep it up. I it's it feels like every every week we see something awesome that someone else has done that they've been cooking on in the background. Just keep it up. This is great. Absolutely. Well, I will let you actually get to work and I will actually get to bed. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Thanks so much for doing this again. This was this is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Yep. Yeah, See ya.
And that wraps up what was a really fantastic interview. I'm looking forward now to diving back into our teaching episodes and to being back on a more even schedule. The last month has been a whirlwind of travel and house buying and graduating from my master's degree program and more. Thanks for bearing with me. Thanks in particular to Anthony Deschamps, Ben M. Esfabod, Christopher Gifford, Chris Palmer, Dan Abrams, Daniel Collin, Matt Rudder, Ben Whitley, Peter Tillemans, Philip Keller, Rafe Levine, and Vesa Kailavirta for sponsoring the show this month. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can set up recurring contributions at patreon.com slash neurostation, or you can give a one-off contribution at any of a number of other services listed on the show website. And if you're a company interested in advertising to Rust and just generally smart developers, you can get in touch directly. As always, you can find show notes and links for this episode and previous episodes, along with code samples for many of those previous episodes, at neurostation.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at neurostation, or you can follow me there at Chris Kreitcho, and you can and should follow Jonathan there at JNTRNR, which is also his username on GitHub. If you enjoy the show, please tell somebody about it, or rate and review it in iTunes, or recommend it in another podcast directory, or just share it around on whatever social media you use. I really appreciate all the help that people give in helping others find the show. And of course, last but certainly not least, please do give me your feedback. I would love to hear suggestions for topics, interactions about specific content on the episodes, and so on. You can get in touch in the threads for the episode on the Rust user forum, on Hacker News, or on Reddit, or by sending me an email at hello at neurostation.com. Until next time, happy coding. That sense, got to get edited out. <laughs> 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 <laughs>